we will be meeting on Saturday from noon until two in Bud Park. Uh, crying out to God on behalf of our nation. We are just in a state of things in this country. And again, it's not going to depend on uh, mankind to be able to fix things. We need a move of Almighty God. We, we are riding a snowball, and it is running down the hill, and it is gaining speed. And we, we need God to move among us. And with that, I want to share with you this morning, take a little sideline from our uh, study in John. I want to share with you what I believe is going to be my uh, opening words on Saturday. Uh, share them with you, uh, my church family, uh, so that you can begin to uh, think about these things, pray about these things, and uh, let, let them resonate in your heart. Revivals, thankfully, have happened in the past at different times in our nation and in other nations in the world. God, in his incredible mercy and grace, has, has <laughs> chosen to sovereignly move uh, in our midst and... Uh, a lot of great things have come out of it. As I have looked at the, the history of revivals, I see four things that revivals or uh, awakenings have in common. Uh, I want to title the message this morning, God's Prescription to Heal a Nation. God's Prescription to Heal a Nation. Four things that I see in common in revivals or awakenings. The first one is there is a slide of society into uh, moral depravity and injustice and a whole host of other problems to boot. But you see this general slide uh, into anything goes. Uh, we're living at a time now in this country that I didn't think that we would be here. Some of the decisions that have been made at the highest uh, levels of the land um, going against biblical truth that we have, uh, you know, believed for years and years and years and, and walked in, and here we are. So we have this uh, slide right now that we see. The second thing is that Instead of just coming in judgment, we see God moving on the hearts of his people to pray, moving on the hearts of his people to cry out to him. And you see it behind all these great moves of God, just preceding them are people gathering to pray. And these prayer groups that come together and they start out with just two or three. There was one in New York City that would just started out around the lunch period time and uh, was just three or four people. And before you knew it, weeks down the road, they were gathering in churches all over the city of New York. Boy, I'd love to see that again. Amen. So God moving upon the hearts of people. And then number three, God answering those prayers. 
I, I love this whole thing about revival because God starts it. <laughs> he calls on his people to pray, and then God answers those prayers that uh, that he has elicited from us and uh, answers by pouring out his spirit in, in a sovereign, powerful way, uh, resulting in people, his people, first of all, having a renewed commitment to their own relationship with God and catching fire for the things of God, not only in their own personal devotion, but out of these revivals, out of these awakenings have come outreaches, ministries to the poor and hurting, uh, whole movements, uh, the, the, the missionary movement, um, where, I mean, did you know that around the turn of the 20th century, uh, America started sending out all kinds of missionaries around the world. Now there are countries literally sending missionaries to America. Boy, how things have changed in a hundred years. So we see God's people beginning to catch fire and, and grow in their zeal and the things of God. And lastly, what we see well, in, in addition to that, um, as God's people caught fire, so did the people around them. As they witnessed these believers uh, in, in just their genuine walk with Jesus, and as they also heard the word of truth and experienced God's presence, we, you saw the kingdom of God expand. You see people coming to Christ, and uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing happened. And then, number four, the whole moral climate changes. Whole cities, whole areas, whole nations being transformed as churches are filled, as jails and bars are emptied. Uh, the whole, I'm going to call it spiritual climate change, takes place in a nation. And it all begins, though, with people being called to pray, called to say, God, we need you. We can't do this on our own. We need to get on our knees and seek the face of God. And once again, here we are in our nation. Um, we find ourselves in that moral slide, not just sliding away from God's way and God's commandments, but now actively opposing them and him. We see that, don't we? In a country where, according to the Pew Research Center, 65% of adults consider themselves Christians. Okay? In a nation, 65%, the majority of adults consider themselves Christians. The lives of over 60 million babies have been snuffed out since Roe v. Wade. With one in five states now allowing abortion right up to the point of birth. How did we get here in America? The most important thing about this issue and, and why I think it's kind of a litmus test of things is because um, this is the devaluing of human life, where by and large, the quality or perceived quality of one person's life determines the actual existence of another's. Think about that for a minute. 
The quality or perceived quality of one person's life determines the actual existence of another. Not so much different from Nazi Germany, right? Where they determine the quality of the state, the quality of the nation. So these six million over here have to go. How do we get there in our human thinking? It's a mindset that like a cancer infects society and the way we relate to one another. Once we begin to devalue human life at any form, then we begin to devalue each other as human beings. And it all revolves around me. We see the results of it every day, don't we? Till even the church is affected. Even the church living more for our own comforts than for the needs of our neighbors. And we who have been called to be the light of the world begin to grow dim. We who are called to be the salt of the earth, right? The preservative, the influence for righteousness and justice. We are now becoming those who are more influenced by the world than the other way around. So, what do we do? What do we do? The verse that is at the heart of many of these calls to prayer is 2 Chronicles 7.14. And it says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. This was a response from God to Solomon, King Solomon, when he dedicated the temple and asked God that when people would, would sin against him, when they would turn, when they would come back to him, if he would heal if he would restore, if he would forgive. And this was God's response. Now, the Bible says that these happenings in the Old Testament were done as examples to us. And I believe that the principle here does carry over to us as the New Testament church. That when things get to these points, that God calls upon his people to pray and to seek him. So we've seen that at various times. Again, looking at the history of revivals and awakenings, various times and places that God has stirred his people to pray, and he has moved mightily in response. So let's, let's look at what God is calling us to through this verse this morning. Number one, Humble ourselves. See, this is the exact opposite of the mindset that the world revolves around me, right? That pride that puts me over another human being, that pride that, that um, keeps us infighting and, uh, as a nation and, and against one another. And if you don't agree with me, I don't, you know, all this unrest that's going on. It comes down to, I'm right, me, my, mine, this whole mindset. 
And so to humble ourselves before God is the opposite of that. First, we acknowledge that there is a God in heaven who created us in his image and for his glory. That's the first place of humility. I, I am not, you know, human, hear me roar. There's a God in heaven who sits on the throne and I humble myself before him. But the fact that he created us in his image and for his glory, that means that we were created to be like him. And we were created to reflect his character and his nature. Think about it for a minute. The God in heaven who needs nothing does not exact from us anything for his own welfare. But who is he in his character and nature? He is a God who gives of himself for our welfare. Isn't that awesome? So when we humble ourselves, we, we see that selfish tendency in our hearts. We confess it before the Lord. We see that in some ways we have made ourselves God. We have made ourselves more important than anyone or anything. And we have in some ways allowed our fleshly impulses to rule our lives and displace God from his place in our hearts. So in humbling ourselves, what are we doing? We are putting God back on the throne of our lives. And we offer ourselves to his good and perfect will. I'm not, I'm not in charge, Lord. You're in charge. You made me for your glory. God, once again, I offer myself to you to worship you as God, not me. That's the attitude. So we humble ourselves. Number two, we pray. We pray. Prayer in itself is a reflection of our humility, isn't it? Not boasting in our own ability or our own wisdom, our own strength. But when we pray, we're calling upon him who we understand gives us our very breath. It's looking to, it's, it's realizing our dependence on God. In, in our personal lives, in our nation, in our world, right? In that humility. Prayer is also key to a relationship with God, isn't it? If we are to know him, if we're going to be able to understand him, to receive his wisdom, his guidance, and his direction, we need to spend time communing with him, expressing our hearts, and learning his. Prayer not only acknowledges God, it not only acknowledges his presence and, and, and his place on the throne, but it also acknowledges his power and his goodness and his faithfulness. Amen? It's, it's not only how we are led in the way that we should go, it is the foundation, according to Philippians 4, for our inner peace and our inner strength. So we humble ourselves and we pray. We pray. 
Number three, God says, seek my face. Seek my face. This is a part, I believe, of our prayers. As I was meditating on this and thinking about what it might mean to seek God's face, I, I got two impressions that came to my mind. One that we so often see nowadays with uh, people's faces buried in their phones, right? Got a picture up uh, there for you. Hope that's on the screen. Um, right? See that a lot, don't we? People buried in their phones. To seek a face is to seek personal attention and connection. If you go to the next picture, right? Not when, when we seek God's face, we're not looking for a God far off somewhere, just, just, you know, throwing our prayers. We are, you ever see also a little child that will actually take their parent's face and say, right, look at me, look at me. They're looking for personal attention and connection. We uh, so often in our prayers, we have, you know, our list, we give to God and, and we, you know, in Jesus name, amen. And then we get up. Have we really taken the time to meet with God face to face, to look to him for that personal interaction, connection, just, just be in his presence and worship, just thanking him from our hearts for who he is and his great love for us. Seeking his face. The second picture that came to my mind, which is not up on the screen, um, was a little child riding their bike, saying, Daddy, look at me. Daddy, look at me. What's he doing? He's seeking the face of his daddy, right? A child looking for approval, looking for affirmation, looking for encouragement. And in the same way, to seek God's face is, is more than just um, giving him that list, more than just uh, acknowledging his presence and, and connecting with him. It's to know in our hearts that we have not only said our prayers, but that we've been in the presence of God. And it's looking to him for his smile, if you will looking to him to affirm us, looking for him to say, you're doing good, keep it up, I'm proud of you. We need that, don't we? We need that encouragement day by day. Living the Christian life as we um, take up our cross daily and follow him, it's not an easy walk, is it? It's not an easy walk to deny ourselves. It's not an easy walk to love people when they're unlovable. It's not an easy walk to bite our tongues and to do the right thing when everything within us is screaming something else, right? So we look to him to say, well done, to say, I'm proud of you. Yeah, we're trying to get the Lord's smile. And in doing that, and you can see how all these are building off the one before, can't you? In wanting him to be proud of us, we will, number four, turn from our wicked ways. We don't want to feel ashamed in the presence of God. 
but we see in him, we see in the life of Jesus something that we want to emulate, someone that we want to be like. And yes, we're going to fall off that bike and skin our knees from time to time. Can I get an amen on that? Yes, we are. But he will be there to pick us up, to brush us off, to hold us tight, and encourage us to get back on that bike and keep riding, keep loving the unlovable, keep repaying good for evil, keep on trying to be the best example that we can be, keep on reaching out to the poor and the lonely and the hurting. Keep it up. You're doing great. I'm proud of you. Humble ourselves. Pray. Seek his face. Turn from our wicked ways. Can you see that this, um, what this is? It's, it's a reboot, isn't it? It's a going back to what we were designed for in the first place. It's a reshifting of our focus, a reshuffling of our priorities, a realignment of our lives with God on the throne, which is a life that continues to positively affect and influence the world around us. It's Christ in you and in me, the hope of glory, the Bible says. Christ touching the world through us. Through you and you and you and you and you. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And do you see it? How if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, isn't then an event that we're going to have on Saturday? It's not something that, that we do in a two-hour uh, thing and, and it's all done. No. It's a life that we live. Praying, seeking his face, right? It's a lifestyle. That reboot. A life of humility. A life of prayer. A life of pressing in and seeking the face of God. A life of yielding to him and his lordship, and his word. Not just turning from something, but turning to a way of life that more and more and more looking for his smile upon us. Not only his smile, but ultimately our own. Amen? Because that's the life we were created for. That's the life that, that he uh, turns us into new creations to live. It's the life that gives to the world around us, that influences the world around us, a life that is attractive to the lost so that they are drawn in to know the Savior. It's a life that when we get up uh, into heaven a thousand years from now, uh, we will look back and say, oh, man, thank you, Lord, for enabling me to live a life that influenced other people. This is God's prescription to heal our land. You know, he, he can't call upon the lost, can he? He can't, um, 
ask them to pray. They don't even know him. That's why he starts with us. That's why he starts with the church. That's why he says, if my people will call upon my name and humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I am going to take that and use that to affect a whole city, a whole nation. Amen? So, this is God's prescription. Let us individually, let us as a church and as a community answer his call to prayer. Answer his call to begin to seek him with a fervor and an intentionality so that he will move upon this nation once again. Amen. See what he will do in response. That's my heart. I believe that's God's heart. He wants to bless us. Yes, uh, there, there, there will be judgments. We look ahead in the book of Revelation and, and there are hard times coming. But if you follow along in the scriptures and see, again, the example of Israel and how often God would call to the people before judgment came, before they got taken into captivity, before their enemies triumphed over them, he called them back, called them back, called them back because he wanted to heal. He wanted to bless. He wanted to move among them. And in our day and on our time, God is calling. Let us respond to him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you in your mercy for reaching to us, for reaching to your church to be that salt and light, to stand and to kneel, and to call upon you, Lord. And God, we pray that not only in our individual hearts, but all across this nation, you would be stirring, as, as we already are hearing reports, but you would continue stirring your church to pray on behalf of this country. And God, as we do, we trust you for a mighty move in our personal lives, in Manchester and Shortsville, in our church, in our nation. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy, your grace, your love for us. Have your way in our midst. We thank you and we praise you. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen.